podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Jamie Carragher and you are listening to the Copite Podcast. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to the Cop Eye Podcast and the Newcastle preview going into this one, heading to uh, St. James's Park. It's going to be, hopefully, a very good result um, for Liverpool. But I am joined by the Empire of the Cops, Farrell Keelan. How are you doing, lad? Yeah, not too bad, mate. It's good to see your lovely face again. Um, looking forward to, hopefully, second Liverpool win of the season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we just lost Christian there for a second, so I didn't want to introduce him, but he, he is he is back. Uh, Christian, how are you doing, lad? Yeah, good. I don't know what happened. I was just kicked out or something because everything <laughs> just updated and I had to reload and I was back in, so not sure. But yeah, uh, you know, apart from that, I'm good. It's the end of the week uh, soon, obviously Friday tomorrow, and then looking forward to the big game on Sunday, which it is going Newcastle away uh, nowadays. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Farrell was here, to be honest, because if you were the went when I was on my own, I would have just been like, <laughs> fuck this, I'm getting off here in a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, a pleasure, a pleasure to have you both on, as usual. Um, but before we get into the Liverpool stuff, let's let's briefly talk about Newcastle, cause, um, and I guess our form against them, because going into this one, we've won our last four, including very t- two very impressive wins last year. Of course, we had the Carvalho last-minute winner, which was... One of the most glorious moments ever. It was absolutely boss. And then you had the 2-0 away away win at St. James's, which we've just been talking about before we started recording, about going into those games. It was more a Liverpool able to... Liverpool got enough quality to beat a Newcastle side. And I think that says quite a lot about where Newcastle are and their, their journey, I guess. Um, but um, what, have, what have you made of them so far? Farrell, obviously, they've, they smashed Villa 5-1 first game of the season. Narrowly lost to uh, City in the in in the game after, so only one one win out of two. But considering the opposition, I guess it's similar to Liverpool with with, with the Chelsea game away first. It's quite a tricky um, one out of two uh, fixtures, but they're, they're very good, aren't they? And it's going to be it's going to be a big game. No, they're very good, and they, they've they seem to have improved. You know, with a few sort of smarts of purchase as well, like. So if you look at Sandro Tonali and sort of the opening game against Aston Villa, you know, he's such a looks like such a clever little player. Harvey Barnes, again, it's, it's another smart, another shrewd little signing, sort of capitalising on sort of Leicester City's misfortune. Um, I had a look at sort of the highlights um, out, out of interest and they, 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 look, they look quite frightening against Aston Villa. You know, they're pressing sort of really high up the pitch right from the first whistle, five bodies, out and around the sort of Villa box, and you know, they won possession pretty much right after the first, you know, the first whistle, forcing a long ball, winning it back in midfield, and then just pressing aggressively, repeatedly, high on. You know, just I think certainly if you're looking as well how Liverpool started against Bournemouth, I'd have concerns if Watterendo isn't isn't starting, and you, you see Trent sort of occupying that position again, being the out from the back line, receiving the ball with his back 
to the play behind him. I, th- I think that would be something they'd look to expose against us. The other, the other end of that, of course, is that you know when they come to City at the Etihad, they they are a lot more respectful of City. You don't you don't see that aggressive pressing. You know, it's very much sort of the two like low blocks of four. They're backing off a lot. I don't think you'll see that against Liverpool, partly because they'll be at St. James's Park and I don't think the home crowd will put up with that. But also, I don't think they'll look at Liverpool the same way at City. I think they'll very much look at Liverpool, not not to the extent of looking at Liverpool and thinking, oh, we'll, we'll get a 5-1 win here as we've got against Villa. But um, I, I think they'll see opportunities there. And it just depends what opportunities they see because it, depending on sort of our sort of own sort of selection as well. I'll, I'll be very intrigued if, if, if Klopp throws with Urendo into the deep end starts him in the six because I'm, I mean it, we can see the obvious benefits it will have for the likes of Sir Bosley and McAllister uh, but it, it's it's a, again it's a big question of you know after that short sort of cameo against Bournemouth do you trust him with you know 60 70 a full game yeah it's it's, it's some big questions isn't it I guess in terms of I mean good questions but I guess risky ones and if he's gonna throw him in is he gonna maybe just go same as and bring him on in the same way Hopefully in a better circumstance than the one against Bournemouth where he comes on straight after a red card. Hopefully he can come onto a field with, with a, a fellow 10 other fellas on the pitch ready, not 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 just the nine. Um, but let, let's just stick with Newcastle then, Christian, because I think they were unchanged. Like Farrell just mentioned, like the Villa and the City game. I think they were unchanged for both. And like Farrell rightly says, like that right-hand side where Trent's going to be, Anthony Gordon is going to be there and we know Obviously, a, a former blue, he's going to be chomping at the bit to get on the field, I guess, to try and cause as much havoc as he as he can. And also, we can't have you on the pod without mentioning uh, Isak, fellow, fellow Swede, who you had some doubts about, who I think is very fucking dangerous and can cause us a lot of problems, like he like he did like he did last year. Um, what what are you what are your thoughts on them and how we can I guess stifle them from? breaking out from our press and trying to get through because we've seen it happen again in the games this season where Liverpool aren't as equipped to kind of close those spaces but I think that's why Endo might get, might get like Farrell said, thrown in the deep end to try and cover those spaces and, and nullify those those threats that they've got in the top end of the pitch. Yeah, I think first of all, I'd probably have to admit that, you know, since Isak came in, he's uh, he's been really good for Newcastle taking steps all the time. I had my doubts first because, you know, he played in the La Liga. Uh, he had like one good season. Well, he went very young to Dortmund first from the Swedish league, you know, didn't really make it and went to Real Sociedad in, in the Spanish league. Had a re- one great season and then it wasn't that good, but then obviously a big signing for Newcastle um, and you know, Premier League, I consider the, you know the best and most physical league in the in the world. Uh, you know, I had my doubts about him being able to actually uh, go there and, and and you know make his mark on it. But I think now well, the way he started, he looks really more. You know, I got more muscles. He looked like he has his speed. He looks like he can be a threat all season. So we, it will be interesting to see how he builds on you know the start and see what happens. But obviously, I, th- I hope that he doesn't do it against us. But he will be a, a big threat. So we need to uh, you know take care of that. But like you said, I think you know in terms of the of the team that Newcastle have. You look at the starting eleven, and you would say they have a few that you could, you know, call really great players. And there's a few that you don't really consider, you know, maybe at the top level. But what uh, you know they've done in Newcastle, if you put the money aside, because you, I have my opinions on the owners and the money and all that. But what they've done 
is actually to create, you know, a team that, you know, can play well together, a collective that is really strong. You look at the, you know, Sven Botman and, you know, Dan Cano players, the physicality that they got and they brought players together. So they play like a team that is really hard to beat. And that's my big concern going there now, even though we won last season, you know, I think they have developed. I think they're even better. So they have players that will cause us, you know, troubles, especially if we come out in the first couple of minutes, like we did against Bournemouth, then it can, you know, be one, two nil after, you know, five, 10 minutes. And you don't want that to happen away at St. James's Park because it's a tough stadium to go to, great atmosphere and all that. So I am very nervous, but, you know, I hope and I think that Klopp might be brave to put Endo straight into this game because he wants someone that is used to play in that position, even though he's not used to the Liverpool system or playing the Premier League, but he's used to playing in that position, just fucking breaking up play and make sure the opposition doesn't get through and I think that he want to do that straight away and put McAllister higher up to be able to be more creative and also have more because we know Soberslai and McAllister is both really good in terms of work rate so you get three midfielders that actually are really good you know with work rate running around and being physical as well so I think you might just throw him in straight away. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a, I don't think it's a big shout um, for Klopp to throw him in. I think it's for coming in as a, as a thirty-year-old Klopp called him like a late bloomer, but he's someone who, obviously, Klopp's had to convince the owners to to buy because it goes completely outside of the FSG model, I guess, in terms of age. But I think in terms of like those graphs that you see, those graphics where it's like the, which player covers which type. I think if you put McAllister's office like and then you throw Endo in, the circle would be pretty much nearly complete in terms of all those players covering all those aspects. Um but yeah, then Farrow, we might as well go straight to lineup then, because we we're, we're talking about it anyway in terms of endo and stuff. Um and I guess the only other question is, is he gonna go with Gakpo back as a back as a nine and um or will he Go with Nunes after after his lovely goal against them last year. Where we, I mean, it, we were saying like ah, Isak, he's he's the perfect player if you to play against Liverpool personally because of the high line. He's got pace. I mean, Canate and Van Dijk have got more than enough pace to deal with him. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Darwin Nunes, who's also very quick and can cause loads of havoc for their defenders. Will he maybe throw Nunes in as a a little bit of a wild card, considering the way he's been selecting? teams for the first two games of the season? I don't think he'll start Nunez. I'm, I was actually watching um, I think a chat between uh, Chris Pajak and uh, Josh Williams on Redman TV and they were they were talking about that exact question um, in terms of you know whether you would you would risk that especially you know you're looking at a side that would have more balance with a genuine holding six available to play in Watura Endo. Um, the the only issue, the only issue is, I, th- I think they pointed out, if you've got sort of two chaos makers in the side, which is effectively Trent with the new hybrid role and Darwin Nunez, when Liverpool aren't quite yet in a stage where you can look at the side and go, you know, we've played five games, we're quite settled now, we're quite reliable, you know, midfield, we're no longer at a stage where we're sort of being played quite directly, you know, through the middle of the park. I, I personally wouldn't start Darwin Nunez. I, I think we'll probably get to a point in the stage in the season where he will be starting, but I don't think that point is now. But again, as you've rightly pointed out, Mick, I suppose the big question is really, you know, does he, does Klopp push Gakpo into the forward line at the expense of, you know, Diogo Jota? 
which perhaps maybe maybe makes a bit more sense. Um, maybe a bit harsh on Jota, really, <laughs> given his goal scoring performance. But I, I think that would probably be a situation if we do see sort of a midfield of Sabozlai, McAllister, and uh, Endo. I. I, th- I think he would make the sacrifice crop. I think he would go for, for Gakpo instead of Jota. And then it, it's pretty much unchanged a- across the other areas of the pitch, you know, barring, God forbid, any injuries. Yeah, I also saw the um, the deep dive on, on Redman. If you haven't checked it out, then I suggest you do it because Josh and Chris are very good at getting stuck into the um, analytical side of stuff. It's always it's always interesting to listen to. Uh, but Christian, what are, what are your thoughts on it? Because... We know you're probably Darwin Nunes' biggest fan in the whole world. And I'm not far behind you, but I think I tend to agree with Farrell because, yeah, two chaos makers in the same team in Liverpool aren't probably ready for ample amounts of chaos with the system and, and I guess the new way we're playing is a bit, I think, risky at this moment in time. And I'm sure Klopp's having to have regular conversations with Nunes because... He barely never made it on the pitch against Bournemouth, so he won't be, I guess, completely happy with his with his game time. But it's something that he needs to probably buy this time, and it's a long season. Europa League starts and domestic cups and whatever else, so there's plenty of time. But I, I think it, I think it will be Gakpo just to kind of give us more control and drop him deep in and allowing Diaz and Salah to, to make those runs in behind. Yeah, I think I think that will happen. To be honest, it's not a you know it's not a bad thinking or you know a weird opinion. I think it's very logical. Um, but yeah, I'm a David Nunez fan. Uh, I love him. You know the way he's just bring you know uh, a bit of chaos, like we say, into the, onto the pitch and into the game. But at the same time, I think you know it's it's a difficult question because obviously he was given the number nine shirt and we know what that means in Liverpool in terms of history um, if you give him that shirt it's a self-confident thing uh, Thing I know I've been mentioning it on the show before Mick that you know you, you, you are supposed to start if you're wearing the number nine shirt you you know someone that the team should rely on scoring goals and being you know the star man if you like um, so you know with, he had a really great pre-season you know scoring goals showing you know that everyone was excited and being like yeah we play but at the same time he's a player that you know probably needs to just have patience and you know uh wait for his time to come as well when in, like you said going into europe uh, europa league and the domestic cups and all that but I'm also concerned that if we don't give him the chance to play and score goals, he's someone who will thrive from self-confidence and you know bloom from that. So it it concerns me a bit, but I'm I'm total in for Gakpo to start ahead of Jota because we need someone with more physicality up against you know their defensive centre backs because they are big ones and they are really good in there and strong ones. So if Gakpo can you know push them down and hold them up a, a bit with the ball as well. And also come deep to, you know, create space for Salah and Nunez, uh, sorry, to uh, Salah and Diaz to go into, <laughs> go into the correct spaces central and come in from, you know, the wide positions. I think that's a great plan. Uh, and then I think also with the circus at the midfield, that will be uh, McAllister, Sobosly and Ando will be very tough for them also to break down, even though they have great midfield places like Tonali now, obviously from Nathan Milan. So I think that defensive three is a very, very clever move if Klopp starts with them. Yeah, and and Farrell Christian talks about Zabozlai there, and obviously we haven't, I haven't talked to you about him, but his, his last performance against Bournemouth, he was a he was a man possessed, and there's probably off the back of that performance, first name on the team sheet, considering 
just how much ground he covered and how how good he was. But has he has he surprised you just how I guess good he's been already? Two games in, Anfield debut, man of the match. It's it's very good signs for for our new number eight. And I think going to St James's is always a big big ask. Ask, but if he can turn up on the day like he did against Bournemouth and maybe maybe get a goal or an assist and assist. similarly it's it'll be another I guess another notch on the on the belt of how, just how just how lucky we are that we um, we we scouted him and got him in because he's 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 just a he's just a beast isn't he no, a hundred percent, Mick. A hundred percent, and scouted him, and, and I, I should add, beat Newcastle uh, to him because I believe they were also sort of sniffing around uh, Sir Bosley whilst he was at uh, Leipzig at the time. Um, I'm, 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 I'm surprised and not surprised. Uh, surprised in the sense that you know, I, you know, we've all been watching the preseason games. Um, I was actually at uh, the Deepdale to see him uh, against Darmstadt, and I was more than a little bit concerned because he looked far too easy to knock off the ball. You know, he. he you could, you know, as soon as as soon as he was pressed, he just seemed to seemed a bit lost and not not sure of himself. And I think I, I didn't have doubts that I'm thinking, oh, you know, we've bought the wrong player here. But I don't think this is going to be a guy that Liverpool are going to very much need to sort of bring into the team, you know, slowly, as we've seen with other sort of major sort of acquisitions, you know, Fabinho, Andy Robertson, you know, coming in mid midway through the season and, and then just staying in the team until the end. But I, I think. You know he, he's he's been he's been a force of nature uh, since Chelsea, since especially against Brentford. You know that red card seemed to even bring him up a gear or two. But I, I dare say he, he very much seemed to sort of take personal responsibility and sort of go right. We're down to ten, but I'll just be two men at once, and no one will know the difference. Which is, it's exactly. I mean, we we know the history with that shirt we know the weight of that shirt but it's exactly that mentality that you want to see from a liverpool number 8 it's not that it was entirely missing from Naby Keita. i mean not not to name drop but i was speaking about this exact point with, with neil jones for empire and we you know we're sort of saying you know you could see him rise when that red card came but it was i suppose the question is is you sort of looked at him and thought my god you know have we have we finally not not found a Gerard there, but finally found someone suitable to wear the shirt on the you know regular basis. Not 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 to be disparaging of Naby Keita because we all know his talents, but you're thinking if this is a player that can stay fit, can stay available on the pitch, he he offers so much. You know, he 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 fulfills that sort of basic requirement that was respected expected of Jordan Henderson, a bit underappreciated with Jordan Henderson in terms of his ability to drop back and support the right back, which will be valuable in a system where we're effectively encouraging Trent to sort of maraud higher up into the pitch. But he's also, you know, offering such an out, you know, an outlet um higher up the pitch. You know, he, he seems yeah, I am I'm, I'm I'm very I'm very, very excited to see what bringing in a you know a six will do, you know, for his game, for McAllister's game, because I think you're you're looking at a player that's at least partly shackled by the you know the prior unavailability of a genuine six. Having that reassurance behind them, you know, we saw this with Fabinho. Um, having that reassurance behind them will surely, you know, have a have a huge, huge impact. I'm I'm certainly specifically intrigued by McAllister because if you look at sort of even McAllister's sort of shot creating actions last season for Brighton, his numbers outstrip any Liverpool midfielder from last season. I think Harvey Elliott comes close with 75. Uh, McAllister has above 100. You know. 
even even in a season of poor form, you, you still think McAllister is is probably still your your, your best um, output in that regard. Uh, even in a side that's functioning well, so I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's equally exciting for McAllister. Like you said, getting them a bit higher up the field into those areas where he can affect the game with assists and. We saw it in pre-season a little bit as well in, in those games where he just gets on the ball edge of the box, one touch and then feeds it into very nice areas and into channels where people can either cross it in or have a shot or whatever. So it's another, I guess, another weapon in our arsenal just to get either Endo or Bacetic on the field to allow McAllister to get further forward and affect the game in a, in a, in a better way. Um, <clears throat> but I'll just stick with you again, final because me and... Christian have discussed this on the last podcast and probably for hours and hours in total if you add up all the podcasts we've talked about it um, but it is about Mo Salah because missed a penalty he's missed he's now missed three of his last five before that he was pretty much no one felt confident but he always scored them so he had I guess loads of credit in the bank but I put a little poll up on the on our Twitter page at Cop by Podcast just basically asking, if we get a pen on Sunday, is Salah going to take it? If not, who will take it in his place? So just in terms of the poll, 53% are saying yes, he will take it so far. Obviously 47 saying no. And then a couple of names that we've had thrown in is Zobislai and McAllister as as alternatives. What what are your thoughts on, on it all? I think, he'll, I think Klopp will keep. Salah as his penalty taker personally. I, I appreciate where everyone's coming from and obviously we've seen, we've all seen the clips of McAllister, you know, as, as sort of Brighton's penalty taker. He's, he's very, very competent. And I think if it were to happen where there was a change in those responsibilities and the pecking order and McAllister was sort of bumped up to the top, I, I, I personally wouldn't be protesting the decision wildly online. However, you know, as fans, we do have to remember it's not as simple as going X player has scored 90% of their penalties and other players scored 89% of their penalties to so just bump this guy up. It's the logical decision because, you know, logic doesn't always dictate these decisions. You have to think about um, sort of the, the dynamic um, of the team set up. What kind of impact is it going to have? Not, not that Salah needs penalties to be in the goals. We, we all know that he doesn't need penalties to be in the goals. He'll still, he'll still register plus 20, maybe plus 30 uh, in all competitions, um, you know, regardless of whether or not he's Liverpool's first choice penalty taker. But you do have to have the impact. Think about the impact that's going to have on, you know, Salah. Is that going to damage the, the, the dynamic in the dressing room, like on, on, on the pitch? You know, is, is this going to create problems? Um, hard, hard to know. I, I think it, it's one of those, if you go sort of deeper into the season and he's missed you know, 50% or more of the spot kicks he's taken, then, then Liverpool probably just need to have a serious conversation at that point and go, look, you know, <laughs> we, we do need to think about the pecking order or at least, you know, get to the point where at least you have an argument you can present to the player and say, this isn't about, you know, fine margins. This is, you know, a huge, a huge difference here. So I, I think for the meantime, no, I don't think Klopp will change it. Yeah, I think... I kind of, I think I came up with like an idea and Christian, I think kind of agree with me that like maybe take him off them now while it's missed three and five, give him maybe a, a break from the next couple, let someone else take them. If they, I suppose that the only thing then is if they do really well and score them all, then I can get stuff off them. That's the only problem. The only yeah. thing I would have to then hope is weirdly that they miss 
which I'm sure he won't, um, to then get back on them. But I feel like a little just 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 pull up, just pluck him out of there. Say have a little break, and then you can get put back on them again in the future when he's not overthinking them because that's exactly what he's doing now. He's he's in his mind. He's like fucking hell, I've missed like before the ball. Yeah. I thought I've missed I've missed two in the last four, and then he misses that one. Of course, he still goes on to score it, but. Like me and Christian said on the last show, like penalties, are, it's it's so vital, especially in the, that Bournemouth game where if he, if he does miss that and then doesn't get the rebound, Liverpool are in a very very tricky position. Especially when you're going to St James's, you need to, you need your pens to go in, if, if, even if whatever time of the game they need to go in. Um, but, so it's, but, I, but I think on that, just to you know, a short is that you know if he were to actually miss, you know, say we get a pen against Newcastle, he does miss it, or like Farah said, that he goes on to miss a couple of more. It's also like a personal responsibility from his side to actually step down, then not actually for the for the manager or the staff to say, look, you missed, you know, so and so many, so we're gonna change because. I think it's something that he needs to realise then if it happens that I might need just a break here because it doesn't work for me at the moment to actually have someone else to take your responsibility and step up. And we got McAllister, we even got Soberslai, you know, showing that he's really good on penalties as well. So it's both ways, I think. You know, if he continues to miss, yes, it's a discussion internally from Klopp and the staff, but it's also something that Mohamed Salah, even if he's the, you know, the star man and the 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 goal scorer in our team, you know, that like Ferris said, always comes up to 20, 30 plus goals a season. At, at some point, if you're in that position, having difficulties to actually score penalties, you need to have a rethink and maybe you step down for a bit. That's that's my opinion. So it's it's the both ways. And that's obviously an eternal discussion that they probably would have if it happens. But if we get a pen, I'm quite sure that he will step up against Newcastle because it's just in his, you know, it's just in his DNA to score goals and he want to be that man who scored the goal. So if we miss that, then we can have a serious conversation if that happens. No, I agree with you. I agree. To be fair, I, I, the difficulty is, is I feel that he won't see it as a matter of personal responsibility. You saw how hard he took getting subbed off against Chelsea. It, it's you're absolutely right. It, it is ingrained in him. I, I don't. I think he'll have to be physically <laughs> removed from the penalty spot. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think he will come to that decision. I'm, I could be surprised, but I don't think he'll come to that decision personally. I think someone would have to have a conversation with him and how that conversation goes, how that conversation is presented, whether it's, you know, like Mick said, you know, do they go to him and just go, look, we're going to, don't present it as, you know, you, you keep missing these, we're taking you off, but more as we're trying to protect your, the mental side of your game here by giving you a break. But then you're in the position where if Maka goes and scores five out of five, how hard is it? How harsh is it He's to take Maka off the penalties and go, yeah. <laughs> and then you're in a position where, well, Salah's going, well, you, you told me it was a break. But you know, so I, I, I don't. It's, it's a tough one to to, to that, navigate, isn't it? Yeah, because I, I remember when watching the Steven Gerrard Salah interview, where Gerrard actually said, you know, Luis Suarez would be, you know, furious if if he if there was a penalty, and obviously Gerrard were taking them, but he wanted to take it because he wanted to score so many goals. I think you know Salah is the same. While Gerrard said that Fernando Torres wasn't keen because he had troubles in the past, you know, in his younger age to take penalties and actually missed a few. So he wasn't really keen to take them. He just wanted to be naturally in his game to score goals in, in the game and not the penalties. Uh, so that's also a thing, you know, where Luis Suarez would have the madness and the self, selfishness to actually go and score goals. And I think Salis 
you know, the same, even, even though he doesn't look as mad or angry as Luis Suarez did when he you know, was playing. So, like you said, it's in his DNA. He just want to score the goal. So it's a difficult one, but, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, the, if, he, if, he, if he steps up, you score a perfect penalty, then we'll all be like, all right, then continue with it then. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those as well, though. But from Suarez's point of view, it's one thing stepping back and, and you know, and sort of going, right, I'll allow one of arguably Liverpool's greatest, one of Liverpool's greatest ever captains <laughs> to take this penalty. But you know, with all, absolute all due respect to McAllister, and we've got to remember he's a World Cup winner. It's If you're in that dynamic as Salah and McAllister, you're probably saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm Liverpool's fifth all-time record goal scorer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to continue uh, to do this. Yeah, uh, when, <laughs> you know what I mean. When, when you said that before, Cap, uh, Farrell about the um, like Salah, I can just imagine the scenario: like Macha takes five, scores five, Salah but like barges into the dressing room, <laughs> like going, out, "I'm having the next one." And then um, I, I was just thinking that like Ross and Rachel, where he, Ross is like, we, "We're on a break," and Salah just going, "We're on a break." I'm, I'm next. <laughs> Have you moved on already? Yeah, yeah. A little shout out to friends there, a little reference yeah. there for you. Oh, um, no, you can fit one in, go for it. <laughs> Whenever I see an opportunity, I do it. Uh, yeah. Right, before we before we get out of here, let's let's go to score prediction. Christian, what are you thinking, lad? Oh, it's the same same thing every time you you know ask this question. Uh, you know, you can never you can never predict anymore because it's you know it's every team that you play in the Premier League you know will be difficult. There will be easier tasks and more difficult tasks. But you know Newcastle away at St James's Park, you know where with the atmosphere and you know their new belief and their team and stuff, it will be a tough game. But you know I always I have a feeling of you know having a draw. But I want to go with you know my positive side and say that we win two one. So it will be a tough one, but we do win two one. Okay, can I can I just confirm though? Is that the because we've got a WhatsApp group that I always mention? Have you put that in the WhatsApp group? Because once you put that in the WhatsApp group, that's concrete. Then is that what you've said <laughs> no. in the WhatsApp group? No, I haven't said anything there yet. But you know, ah, this, this, this is time. my this is yeah, but this is just like you know my stomach feeling, you know my gut feeling, whatever you call it. You know, two one, it will be difficult, but we will still come, you know, away with the three points. But I need to, you know, maybe. Have a little bit more of a thing when actually going into the WhatsApp group. To there, we my there we go. There we go. No, two, two, you've got to go to one. I've, I've, I'm sticking because I went straight in. Everyone was throwing the predictions in, and I was like, I guess I was b- being very happy on high on life and optimistic at the time, and I just threw in three one. Looking back now, I'm probably thinking that's maybe a little bit optimistic, but. Okay, people were throwing in four three shouts and four two and all kinds of shit. So we, I guess you never know, do you, Farrell? But what what are you thinking? I'm honestly, I'm 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 just thinking. I don't think it's going to be as cagey as sort of the City game. I, I think they're going to come at us, which will present problems. But I think it will open up problems. For, I think if Liverpool are looking at this, I think they'd rather they'd rather have the Villa game than the City game, and and sort of have it a bit more sort of end to end. Maybe with a bit more sort of control, of course, on our, on our our sort of side. So I actually think there'll be quite a few goals in this one. I think the scoreline will be tight. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, lo- I love your optimism, Mick, and I'm, I'm thinking we'll probably win this three two. Oh, I don't know if my heart can take five goals, you know, but I, I, I get I get why everyone's saying it because I mean we have had some classics in the past four threes and whatever ninety six and that, but I think it, it is a case like Farrell rightly said. 
they'll be looking at us going, they've got loads of weaknesses, and we'll be looking at them going, we've got a lot of, load of good players that can exploit their, their wide areas. So it all depends. I guess it's always the same. The first 10 minutes, you find out exactly how it's going to go. Hopefully, Liverpool start like a house on fire and um, get an early goal because that always settles it down like like we saw against Chelsea, although we didn't we didn't build on that in the right way. Um, but I think if Liverpool start the game right, as Hopefully. long as we don't start as like against Bournemouth, you know, one half. Exactly. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> yeah. We, we want, we, we want, uh, we want Chelsea start Bournemouth end, I guess, if that makes any sense. But I don't want 10 yeah. men, please. 11, 11 men, please. Um, but yeah, cheers, fellas. Nice one. We shall leave it there. Thanks, as always, to Christian. Thanks again to our Farrell. It's always nice to have Farrell on. It's been a, it's been a while, but he's back. Thank you for the um, invite. No worries. Yeah. We'll be back, hopefully couple of days after the game um, to celebrate the Liverpool win. But yeah, thanks, lads. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all very soon. Nice one. I'm Jamie Carragher, and you are listening to the Copy Podcast. Podcast Network.